Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today Rena Van Aust from Strata Central. Hi, Rena. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I am doing well. I think around about the time this goes to air, I will be returning from a short break that I've had overseas and I think you might be wrapping up your break. Feeling a bit sad about it maybe. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to think that far ahead feeling sad before I've even left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perhaps. But we're looking forward to having you home. I can say exactly, that. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, Amanda. All right, let's jump in. Challenges, Rena. Hit me with a challenge. For all strata managers that have to go out to Parramatta for mediation, I think it's become quite a, a time-consuming event for us because, as I understand from people at Fair Trading, the majority of applications are lodged by the inner city areas, eastern suburbs, northern suburbs. So let's not go into the politics of, of why it's in Parramatta. But I have actually received two applications from the same building from different lot owners within, say, two months of each other, basically taking the owners' corporation um, to mediation because of a perception that the owners' corporation is responsible for damage to their lot, which has not been caused as a result of the owners' corporation's failure to repair and maintain common property. So in this particular example that I'm referring to, Amanda, there was a hot water unit in the apartment above. It only services that apartment. They've installed it themselves and it burst. And therefore, there was quite a bit of water damage that occurred into the apartment below. There was light fittings, you know, tenant furniture, et cetera, quite a lot of damage. So the owner came to us via the agent and said, you know, we need you to compensate. And we said, no, this was not caused by the owner's corporation. This is caused by the owner of the above lot and we will happily forward your email to them and you can make direct contact. We didn't give them their details because obviously we had no authority to apart from what was in the strata role, but we obviously encouraged that dialogue. So some time passed and we didn't really hear much. I'd sort of heard again, oh, you know, the light fittings and yeah. So basically the contents insurer and the landlord insurance would obviously only look after those prospective items, but would not look after and take care of the damage to the common property within the apartment. That included the ceiling and light fittings, I believe. I think the walls were okay. Anyway, and again, I said, well, no, please refer to my previous correspondence. We did not cause this and we're not going to submit an insurance claim. First of all, you know, the excess was quite high. So the amount that was in question was even below the excess. But nevertheless, and something that I've learned since from you, Amanda, that there is no obligation to submit an insurance claim, even if there is an event. And so I said to them, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to submit an insurance claim, nor are we going to pay for the light fittings or the ceiling. And then they said, oh, if you don't, we're going to go to take it to the tribunal. And I said, you know, well, you need to take whatever action you deem necessary. So about a month later, I think it takes quite some time now for these applications from the date of submission to fair trading to when you actually are advised of a date. And, you know, they've said, oh, you know, we're going to mediate, you know, an application's been submitted by the owner of the lot requesting repairs to common property. So I was wanting to speak to you about this, Amanda, because it's coming up quite a lot now that... I've had probably three similar cases of varying types where 
the owners' corporations being held to ransom, so to speak, by landlord insurers, contents insurers, saying to the owner or the occupant, rightly so, that, you know, we're not responsible for the wall because it's, you know, that's strata. You know, people say that's strata, so, of course, being common property, et cetera. Or even if it's not, it's part of the building structure, so it's not relevant to that fixtures in the building structure or or insurable under the building policy. So, Amanda, in a sense, you know, what is your advice? Because obviously we're going to, the committee have declined mediation on this basis because, you know, it costs money for us as an agency to be paid to go all the way out to Parramatta, you know, stay there for two hours or whatever it takes. Sometimes it could be longer, sometimes it could be less, but then you've got to come back. So the whole time, you know, sometimes the amount that is going to be expended just in our fees, you know, trying to go out there and be there and, to sell something that perhaps, you know, shouldn't have been submitted in the first place. Obviously we can decline mediation, but sometimes it is better to go there because you can have a face-to-face meeting to explain these things, but obviously there's there's quite a high cost to that explanation. So what's your advice, Amanda? Because it's happening quite more and more now, I'm, I'm finding. Well, look, the owners' corporation has a duty to repair and maintain the common property. Let's start there. If the owners' corporation fails to repair and maintain the common property and an owner suffers some kind of loss and damage because of that failure, then there can be a claim against the owner's corporation. In the situation that you've outlined, there has been no failure to repair and maintain the common property. Yes, there has been some damage to both lot property and common property, but that hasn't been caused by a failure to repair and maintain. That's been caused by a burst hose water penetrating from one lot to another at an area, I imagine, that didn't need to be waterproofed because it's a kitchen or whatever it is. So there's no failure there in the owner's corporation's structure of the building. You're right that this essentially becomes a matter between the two lot owners. And as for insurers, I relate completely to your experience of having a situation where a lot owner's contents insurer has refused to indemnify them, sends them off to the owner's corporation, but doesn't have, of course, that background understanding that as a matter of strata law, the owner's corporation doesn't have any responsibility to meet that claim. In some circumstances, the owner's corporation might, but in the one that you've outlined, they don't. So the lot owner feels as if they're acting on the advice of their insurer to go after the owner's corporation and then gets a surprise when the owner's corporation via their strata manager or sometimes a lawyer says, uh, sorry, we have no obligation. And the issue does get confused, I think, when owner's corporation building insurers say, I'll just lodge a claim and we'll pay it anyway. I know that's happened to you. We've spoken about it separately. Mm. And I've often say I think strata building insurers are incredibly generous. <laughs> and Yeah, Amanda, what, you're absolutely right on the mark because in another event I was told, oh, it doesn't matter that it was caused not by an insurable event per se, by some lot owner's personal property affecting someone else's common property. They said, well, you have to lodge a claim. And I said, no, I don't have to. Yes. Now let me be clear on that. I agree, and we've talked about this, you don't have to lodge a claim. No one has to claim on their insurance policy. I don't have to claim on my contents policy. If my place burns down, if I decide I don't want to claim on the policy, I don't have to. Mm. You may have duties to notify your insurer under the policy where there's been damage to property, and that makes Mm. sense. They need to be aware of what their risk is. But you certainly don't have to claim. And I have this debate the other way 
for lot owners against owners' corporations where the owners' corporation says, why are you claiming carpet replacement, for example, from us? You should claim on your contents insurance. Yes, it was damaged because of our failure because of a leaking roof or something, but don't you have contents insurance? They'll cover it. And I say to my client, even if you have contents insurance, you don't have to claim. Why should your premium go up? The owners' mm. corporation is responsible to meet this cost. It's their bad luck if you don't have contents insurance or if you don't want to claim, but you don't mm. have to. And it's often a generous lot owner that will claim for their contents. That's a separate issue. But I do see how strata mm. managers and their clients can get confused by strata building insurers who say, oh, yeah, we'll pay it anyway, because there is almost then an admission of liability that we are yeah. responsible for paying this when in this kind of circumstance I can't see that you are it's right Amanda yeah so I think that's um an issue I think that a lot of so managers aren't even aware of that in a sense of if the event is caused by another lot owner's property then then the owner's corporation is not responsible Mm. even if it does affect common property yes that's right bear in mind that at some point if the common property is not repaired by the owner Mm. responsible the owner's corporation may have to step in to effect that repair or require the owner responsible to effect that repair. So if the owner's corporation does it, there's an avenue for you then to claim from that owner who should have done it or you can seek an order requiring that owner to do it because whilst it's not your responsibility, it's important that you don't sit back and let that problem sit there and get worse as it will do. Yeah, of course. Well, I think in this case, I mean, the ceiling repair is something that it's just a bit of painting and also I think light fittings definitely are not common property anyway. They're, they're part of the building, the fixtures and fittings, but they're not common property. So in this case, I, mean, I think we're on safe ground to say that we're not responsible. Mm, yep. Thank you for sharing that one. It's a bit of a deep one, but I know it has come up between us a few times recently and there'd be many others out there who are struggling with that. Mm. And uh, that is not by any means a conclusive conversation about that, but it's an important topic to start wrapping our heads around. Yeah, definitely, Amanda. Okay. Here's an interesting little challenge for you, Rena. I attended the offices of a strata manager very recently and conducted an inspection of books and records for my clients. Now, my clients are the owners of lots in a building. One owns, for example, lot five and one owns lot six. So I'm acting for two owners in a building. I made my request for inspection. I told the strata manager I'm acting for the owner of lot five and lot six. I'd like to come and inspect the records. Strata manager said, fine. We set up the appointment I attended. Spent about two hours there. I then went to pay the bill and we know that we need to pay for our inspections pursuant to our legislation, $34.10, I think it is, under the regulation. For the first hour. For the first hour and then a little bit more. An additional $16 for each half hour afterwards. That is not my issue. My issue is that the strata manager proposed to charge me twice because I was conducting the inspection on behalf of two lots. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't be laughing. I'm glad you're laughing because I then had what I described as a near knockdown drag out fight with the strata manager about why I thought that was not correct. Well, I think they may have had to perhaps give you lot owner records for each ledger, say the strata role for that each lot and perhaps their financial ledger, which I don't think is They really should have given thing. me lot owner records for everybody. I was entitled, am entitled to inspect every record. I know, but sometimes, Amanda, when someone's um, coming to do a search for a particular lot, because obviously it's someone's selling or buying, and this, we know the purposes in particular cases, we make sure that we have the ledger so that people know, is that person updating their levies? Is the strata role correct for that lot? Because that stuff obviously is going to form part of a contract of sale in terms of, a, of the lawyer knowing 
you know. Sure. That's fine. But apart from that, everything else would be the same. I mean, That's you right. know, they're providing all the records at the same time. So this is really, I mean, I must say, I think that I've always heard everything that I could possibly <laughs> hear about in Strata, but that's definitely a new one. Well, look, I started out by laughing. Uh, I then had the Strata <laughs> manager come come out and speak to me and I said, oh, look, you're not charging me twice. Oh, yes, I am because it's for two lots. I said, what part of the legislation says that you are to be charged on a per lot basis? I said, section 182 is the section that says you can request an inspection of the records. I've requested one inspection of one set of records mm. and schedule four to the regulation sets out what the fee is for an inspection of records. Mm. Very different to, for example, when you're requesting a strata information certificate on behalf yeah, of a lot. section 184 certificate. Section 184, that. correct. And you're paying for that on a per lot basis. That was the example that was put to me. I said, this is not section 184. Yeah. This is a completely different section. And I was also told that this strata manager had been doing this for 20 years and had never had a lawyer question the <laughs> double charging. And I said, well, it's your lucky day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Amanda, when they saw your name already, coming, <laughs> that would have probably instilled some, um, some concern. But... <laughs> But my other experience has been of, of strata searches because it's funny because I actually manage a building which is part of a BMC and the strata scheme is managed by our company and the BMC is managed by a different company. So obviously the BMC, I believe and I can see, is being mismanaged because the strata manager there doesn't even understand how the BMC works and I won't go into that for this particular purpose. Safe to say that there are costs that are not being billed to the BMC that we're being asked to pay and had been incurred by the Strata Scheme prior to our appointment. So I wanted to go down and have a look at all the records of the BMC. So I made an appointment and, yeah, they knew I was coming, et cetera. I think the receptionist knew it was me, but I don't think anyone else knew it was me. And then, of course, when I went there, I know all the people and I said hello and it was all nice and amicable. But I think what I find is that they said that you can't actually download anything electronically, that you have to pay for every single photocopy. I said, but I don't want photocopies. I just want electronic records I want to be able to get copies of my searches electronic I don't want to have to you know I want to be able to put on a USB or, or get a link Amanda like they can send me a link mm, yep. you know on Dropbox or Google Drive or whatever and I can then just save them myself and then the receptionist said no and then that's when I said can I speak to someone and I saw one of the principals and who was able to help me and said don't worry we'll, we'll send you a USB etc but that's because I know them and, you know, and we're, and we're obviously as, as strata managers, we're all colleagues and we try and help each other wherever we can. But I think to myself, I think it was like, I think it was a dollar twenty a page or something. And I'm thinking if I want to get a copy of all the minutes, I mean, if I was a, like a normal searcher in manner and I'm wanting to search all the records, yep. if I have to pay like a dollar twenty a page, I mean, that's, you know, I just don't believe that's correct. Yeah. And it's frustrating that it comes down to who you know and yeah. how you understand the legislation and that you need somebody like yourself or myself to advocate for you to get what you're entitled to. Yeah, man, did, you, did you end up paying the double the fee? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. This is how our knockdown drag out fight ended was that the strata manager said, well, Amanda, I've heard what you've had to say and as a courtesy, as a oh. courtesy, I will waive that fee. And I said, <laughs> don't call it a courtesy. It's called applying the law. But, mm. yes, we were not going to agree on that. 
but I did save my clients the double fees. It wasn't about the 30 bucks, honestly. Oh. It was about strata managers understanding, knowing and applying this legislation properly. Well, it's funny you should say that, Amanda, because when searchers leave our office and they go, oh, do you want the check to man out to the strata plan or to your company? And they go, don't worry, we know the strata plan. I said, that's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It has to be the strata plan. And in this particular, this other case I'm referring to, I paid by credit card, but it all goes into the bank account of the the strata manager, not into the strata plan's bank account. Yes, and it's important to understand that it is a payment to the building. I do wonder whether those companies then pass that on to the building. Perhaps that's what they're doing. Well, it does come back to the manager anyway, Amanda. So in a sense, but it's more about how it appears. So a lot owner doesn't have a direct relationship with our company. The relationship is with the owner's corporation. So the money goes into the owner's corporation's account and then we draw down that money for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. But what I'm trying to establish again is the law of agency. So the money has to go into the strata scheme's account. Then the strata scheme pays a managing agent because that person doing the search has no legal relationship with the strata company. Mm. That now relationship with the owner's corporation that allows them as agent, allows them to come in and do a search, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. So... Important issue, I think, if not for the general application, that is we need to better understand these everyday provisions that we're applying and sometimes without thinking and not reading. Exactly. I think, Amanda, it sort of makes you wonder what else are they not getting right? (laughs) A few things. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that one is ongoing. That's why you had to do a search, right? (laughs) Yes, indeed. All right. Win for this week, Rena. This is a very interesting win. Um, An owner had come to me asking if I would consent to compulsory appointment. She was going to do the application herself and I was quite supportive. Apparently she'd obviously vetted a number of companies. And when I realised that she was going to complete the application herself, knowing how hard it is to get a compulsory appointment under Section 237, I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll never hear from her again. She won't be successful. And I must say to my surprise, two weeks ago she emailed me the orders and basically she was successful. There were a number of obviously issues that that contributed to that decision. But one of the ones that stood out for me, I think, and I think perhaps was part of the reason why the member made the decision was because the chairperson instructed the strata manager to basically accept a quote of about $25,000 for a roof repair. There was a telephone instruction. There was no email, no committee meeting, no general meeting, nothing. And obviously even the email thing wasn't referred to in the, in, in the judgment. It just said that there was no regard to the law, that, you know, someone just tells someone to do it and the strata managers just did it. The company that actually is in question is, is quite a large company. They've been around for a long time. So, again, it's not sort of people that, you know, like small companies that people may perceive don't have the expertise. It's actually quite disturbing for me as, as a strata manager to see when judgment has come out where it says that on the instruction of one person, by telephone, then a strata manager actually proceeds to undertake their request. Now, a lot of buildings have come to me, man, saying there's a lot of favoritism and, and people think, again, the chairperson's got more power when they actually don't. But this is another perception that we've spoken about previously. But, you know, for someone to say, just do this, and they do it, I mean, I'm just flabbergasted. I know it happens quite a lot. This is the thing. Absolutely, but yeah. When you actually see it, and I think this is part of the reason why she was successful because it was so bad that, a lay person who has done so much work, I'm not discounting any of her involvement. And I mean, you know, she's done such a marvelous job, you know, but she's not legally trained and nor does she know the strata like, like I do. So in a sense, it was a real um, win for her. 
and a real indictment on, on the standard of strata management, I believe, unfortunately. I think it's um, I'm seeing a lot more and more of it now as, you know, as time is going on. Yeah. My advice to owners who come to me wanting to apply for a compulsory appointment is always that they are difficult orders to get. So that's mm. interesting that you might be seeing more of those come through. I imagine that acceptance of a large quote without any meetings, without any legitimate approvals, that was but one example of the kind yeah, but of one. non-compliance? Yeah. Yep. Okay. It was only a few days ago, Rena, that I had a, a lot on a client in my office complaining of exactly the same thing, mm-hmm. that decisions were being made outside committee meeting. It wasn't clear who was instructing the strata manager to spend money to accept quotes, to do work. And it was significant work and her concern was that it was actually work that didn't necessarily need to be done. Mm. So uh, unusually we're often dealing with situations where work is not being done when it needs to but there are from time to time situations where work is being done, it doesn't need to and it is behind some veil of secrecy that it's all happening and that's not the way our building should be run and I'm pleased to hear that the tribunal at least seems to be recognising that and giving owners some relief by way of a compulsory manager. Yeah, well, the other interesting um, point too, Amanda, is that in this particular case the allegation was that sometimes the strata community members have approved quotes by instruction to the strata managing agent that benefited their lots and yes. while there are other lots that were that need work done mm. and that were being neglected. So, again, yeah. I think we've spoken before about the motives of strata community members at times not being in the best interest of all the owners but perhaps they come onto the committee for their own um, lots and their own purposes. So that's another mm. thing I think to be mindful of where this was quite apparent even though it was not actually noted as such and it wouldn't be but you can see from the thread of the, the judgment that it uh, the strata committee was actually acting in a self-interested manner where they were just undertaking repairs that affected their lots and other lots were being neglected. Yeah, and strata managers need to be attuned to that and to protect themselves from allegations of favouritism and non-compliance and making sure that these decisions are going to properly constituted committee meetings, if not general meetings. If the committee meeting is the appropriate place to approve this kind of stuff, then sure, in a committee meeting, but otherwise a general meeting and not allowing one or two committee members to give instructions alone about these important issues. Yeah, I think it also comes from a twofold reasoning in terms of why perhaps managers, I think, do this. One, I think that um, managers sometimes feel that if you don't stay in with the people that have the power or they perceive to have the power, then they're not going to have their contract renewed. And the second point is now, Amanda, which I've heard is that under the new Act where managers have a maximum of a three-year term and therefore they have to then keep putting on their agency agreement to renew their contracts for future um, AGMs or general meetings, whatever the case may be, that there's that pressure that whereas before when the contract ended, the date ended, it would go on a rolling month-to-month basis. Mm. Now when the contract ended, actually just ends. So there's more pressure on managers to be seen to be, you know, perhaps doing what they're being told to do, you know, to be able to retain their business or meet targets or whatever the case may be. So I think that's another sort of thing that we're finding now. I'm not sure if it's one or the other or a combination of both or just mm. lack of training and ignorance. It could be a multitude of factors. Mm. Concerning and something to be watching for sure. I'm going to wrap up with my win for this week. It is a win that one of my clients has experienced. In short, this lovely lady is an owner in a small building. There are five lots and for many years the committee has had four members. <laughs> 
Mm. Notwithstanding, we have five owners. <laughs> and she had sensed a bit of an effort on the part of the other committee members to keep her off the committee and that had been concerning her. There's some urgent remedial work that needs to be done around the building and not being on the committee, she had been cut out of a lot of those communications. So one of her goals was to get herself on the committee at the upcoming annual general meeting and we talked about how she might do that. And also she had concerns about some work that was proposed for the building and didn't think that the scope properly addressed some items relevant to two of the lots. So she thought that the way they were proposing to repair windows at her lot and her neighbour's lot was not going to be effective. So I worked with her to get uh, second opinions on those items and to put those to the Strata Committee and also explain to her the process, going back to that election of the committee, the process of nominating the committee members first, setting the number and then electing those persons to the positions if you need to hold an election. So I'm happy to say that her meeting took place a short while ago. She has been elected to the committee. She did explain to the committee how helpful it would be if all owners were on the committee and in small buildings how that is quite normal for all owners to be on the committee and she also was able to get a motion resolved that the scope of works for the windows in particular would be reassessed and a second opinion obtained. Now I have to say I do believe that the strata manager in this situation played a key role in changing some minds in that building. As I said to my client I recognise this strata manager as somebody who was listening to what I was saying, to what my client was saying, who could then pass on to the committee. For example, in his experience, most small buildings do have everyone on the committee and that's a good idea. So they weren't just hearing that from me, they weren't just hearing it from my client, but they were hearing that from their strata manager. And that makes a big difference, I think, when a committee that perhaps is not making the right decisions or could do a little bit better, hears from someone who they may see as on their side, someone in their camp, their strata manager, that they should be doing things differently, then it's easier to get these kinds of initiatives across the line. So there's an example, I think, of a good strata manager doing good work in the best interests of their client as a whole. That's a great outcome, Amanda, I think, because in these small buildings, sometimes things can become far more volatile because of the fact that you only have a small pool of people that you're dealing with. So I think that's a great um, outcome for both strata manager and your lot owner and yourself. That's wonderful. Yes. Always good to have happy clients and a lovely way to finish off our episode. Lots in there this week, Rena. Yes, definitely, Amanda. Keeping everybody on their toes. I'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? 